Welcome to this edition of the DMZ America podcast. I'm Scott Stantis. I'll be coming to you from the right. And I will be Ted Rawl coming to you from the left. I wasn't (laughs) Ted Ted Rawl before, but I am Not Ted Rawl, but an amazing simulation. Uh, (laughs) It is Wednesday, October 26th, 2022. And uh, this edition, we're going to be talking about the midterms. They are less than two weeks away. How the Democrats are totally screwing it up. What will Republicans do when and if and when they win? And then later we're going to be talking about what does Haiti have to do with Ukraine? We'll let you know. But first up, the midterms, the Democrats being the clever boys and girls and <laughs> thems and theys that they are, decided to throw money and work hard at getting MAGA and QAnon nutbags to get their Republican nominations in their various districts. Well, guess what, Ted? They got them on the ballot and the polls are showing many of them are going to win. Yeah, that's right, Scott. I mean, so <laughs> I'm sorry. In the, in, like... the two, in the too clever by half file uh, <laughs> goes a an idea that, you know, sort of uh, goes back. Actually, it goes back a long way. Like Richard Nixon did this to the Democrats in 1972. He believed that Muskie was going to be the strongest Democratic candidate. So, uh, you know, his, he used dirty tricks to sandbag Muskie and, uh, he got the, the nominee that he wanted to run against George McGovern. And, and, you know, uh, that proved prescient because, uh, he defeated, uh, McGovern in a record landslide, uh, Hillary Clinton, not as clever in, uh, 2016, uh, also wanted to run against Donald Trump. And uh, we all know how that worked out. Uh, and so this, in this cycle, uh, in, at a scale that is really unprecedented, Democrats have poured millions of donor dollars yeah. into uh, GOP primary races and uh, perversely have supported the most extreme, as you said, Scott, uh, QAnon, MAGA-loving, right-wing, racist, you name it, all the bad stuff that Democrats are supposedly really against. Um into their races to make them the nominees on the, uh, you know, basically uh, on the uh, principle that they would be easier to defeat in the general election. Never mind, by the way, that even if this worked, uh, that would still be pushing the Republican Party to the right. And is that really good for the country? Uh, you know, now we're looking at these polls. Um, as you said, we're 13 days out from the midterms. And it is a little, it is a little frightening, right? I mean, it's like, uh, and uh, by the way, I just want to point out that before we even talk about the Senate and stuff, it's worth pointing out that, uh, you know, Abbott is really kicking Beto O'Rourke's ass. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. They had a debate. and you know, It was, again, ridiculous. Um, O'Rourke just seems like, you know, it seems like it seems like he's never run before. I mean, he just seems like he's got this gee whiz. I'm just a kid. And well, look at all. You know, I, I almost look like a Kennedy. You so know? perhaps, you know, I mean, look, these races generally, you know, they close up. And Republicans always, uh, whether you're talking about a Senate or a gubernatorial or a presidential campaign, they always Republicans pick up uh, support in the polls as you get closer to Election Day. Nothing new there. But so but still, I think now these numbers, you know how they say, well, it's a long time between now and Election Day. Uh, That's not true now. So these these numbers really mean something. And, you know, Scott, you and I have been all over the place about the prognosticating the midterms. Mostly we have predicted 
that it would be a GOP House and that the Senate was sort of uh, could go either way. Um, but uh, we, you know, earlier in the season, we were definitely thinking the Republicans would romp. Uh, then we weren't so sure because of the Dodd ruling on abortion. And then now it looks like, well, Republicans are going to romp. I mean, Herschel Walker is leading yeah. Georgia. I mean, he is a nightmare of a candidate. Um, and, uh, you know, what's going on with the accusations of hypocrisy and abuse of his, uh, you know, of his ex, of his uh, ex baby mama and his baby who's talk, speaking out against him and has some credibility because he's a mega Republican. Um, so he's leading in Georgia. That's kind of crazy. Uh, in the gubernatorial race there, Stacey Abrams, who's the, you know, the great oh. hope of yeah. the, uh, of, of the progressive left in this cycle is going to be absolutely destroyed. There's no chance that she's going to carry that um, in, uh, in you know, Pennsylvania. I would say it's within the margin of error. Uh, Fetterman, inexplicably. I don't think after today, I don't, after last night. Let me. Yeah, I'm this sorry. Is, let me. This is a poll from last Tuesday. October. Okay, they they had a debate last night, and so this poll this poll had it was Kemp fifty one. Sorry, uh, Fetterman fifty one. Oz forty nine. CBS okay, okay. poll. Yeah, you're right. That's. I mean, all all that needs to do is tip one point in in Oz's favor, and it's all over. And Fetterman just looked. Feeble. He looked like a guy, like a big dumb guy who had a stroke. I mean, he really did. And it was just how many people, I mean, I'm hearing people on the left, I mean, on the right, um, yeah. who are saying, oh, I, I just felt sorry for the guy. Um, usually That's debates don't mean a hell of a lot. And, and people like us who, you know, care about this shit, no, put but more this, stock but in. in this case, but this is Pennsylvanians are very, you know, I just drove through Pennsylvania two days ago. And uh, right all the way across Interstate 80, and uh, you know it, this is a this is a race that has at, attracted a lot of attention. And Pennsylvanians are definitely engaged. Um, I saw where I stopped, and TVs were on. People were paying attention to political coverage. There's lots of signs. Uh, bear in mind, signs mean more now because people pay for yard signs. They they pay money for them. I know. I wouldn't, you know, no matter how much I love, you know, I would, I would never have paid for a Bernie sign, even though I voted for him. But, you know, the point is it means something. Um, there's uh, yeah, this is a, the, I think Pennsylvanians were, they really wanted to know from the camp, from the uh, debate last night, because it was the one and only debate that took place is Fetterman. Uh, you know, is he drooling? Is he able to do this? Is he, or is he completely, you know, is he, has he not recovered from the stroke? Um, by all accounts, he has not recovered from the stroke. Right. And from the from what I've seen, I've, and I'll have to admit, I didn't watch the entire debate, but I've seen excerpts. And it's also how is the debate going to be spun and what excerpts are people going to see? And what they're going to see is, frankly, a guy who I guess is a nice enough average, you know, he's a Joe the plumber who's running yeah. for Senate, but it's Senate. And uh, it's frankly, embarrassment. you don't do Joe the plumber for Senate, Joe the plumber after a stroke. Right, right. I mean, and if Dr. I were living in Pennsylvania, I like Fetterman's politics, but in I, I, if it weren't for the stroke, I would vote for him. But the stroke, I mean, yeah. it's it. I wouldn't vote for Oz. Uh, I don't really understand how Oz became a Republican. I didn't know that when I watched his show. But but like you know that happened, right? But he's a but, hack. I mean, I, but Oz he's comes. Smooth. He can he I mean yes. he's the right candidate to go against a guy with a stroke, right? Yeah. 
No, I mean, even I mean, he just he's been on TV, so Oz is going to be smooth and and articulate, and he'll recognize how to work the camera. He'll recognize. I mean, I mean, Fetter I mean, looked like he didn't even know how to tie a tie. I mean, it's just, and I'm sorry, that's a little thing. It's a petty thing, but it's a kind of thing that cartoonists look at and go, "This guy's not ready." You know, if you're going to be, this is your introduction to the people in the state. You're literally the the one big moment. Um, by the way, you talked about governorships, looking at Abbott barely won in Texas four years ago is going to oh, walk true. to reelection. He's going to trounce. Uh, he's 11 in some polls. He's 11 points ahead. You know, O'Rourke has only one constituency, which is the national media in the Washington Beltway and in New York City. Um, you know, people don't actually respond to him. Right. You know? No. Well, like, I, like I said, he runs. He says, well, I almost look like a Kennedy. You know, that's kind of like seems to be yeah. his one qualification. Yeah, almost. And, uh, down in Florida, Santos won by like what six hundred votes. It was incredibly close when he won election. Four years later, we look today. He's going to stomp the shit up. I can't even name who his opponent is. He's he's going to he's going to you know skate to re-election. You talk about Kemp in Georgia. I mean, against um, Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams. I mean, again, you talked about you know beloved by inside the belt. Well, folks, that's who she is. But I, you know. Yeah, and beloved by people by progressives like me, but you know, uh, progressives like me don't live in Georgia, so I mean, or lot not in significant numbers. No, in Atlanta, in but Georgia. Yeah, I mean, even so, look, uh, you know, b- the black Democrats who dominate Georgia and have changed that state's politics um, are not like hardcore left wing economic progressives. They're not. These are the people who curb stomped Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primaries. Um, you know, these are traditional old school Democrats who are grateful for the Civil Rights Act and the and the and the change of, of uh, focus after 1964 of the Democratic Party from being an, a, a, you know, a racist white party. And, you know, they they. That's that's who these people are. These are traditional old school Democrats. They're not Bernie. They're not like they don't have the fire in their bellies for someone like Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams could do well in, say, New York or Massachusetts, but not there. Um, yeah. Now we'll, now let's look west and look where uh, Lake uh, in Arizona, who is oh, a God. fucking nutbag. I'm, I'm sorry. She she said on numerous occasions. Though, speaking of a television, a TV. Yeah. Well, she was a TV anchor for 20 plus years. Um, yeah, nobody knew her politics. Right. And so she's coming out and she would she said point blank on more than one occasion. She would not have certified the votes in, in Arizona based on nothing other than she wanted Loyalty to Trump. Right. That's it. And that's, I mean, that's, and then you go down and there's a guy running for secretary of state who is certifiably Ted bat shit bonkers. Well, a lot of secretaries of state have been, you know, state secretary. Well, the attorney general in Texas, um, uh, Paxton is is his name and all of the loopy stuff that comes out of, I mean, he is not just, he's under indictment or under investigation for corruption. He is a QAnon adherent who believes that Google is spying on him. (laughs) I mean, I'm serious. Google is spying on us. That's true. Right. It's spying on all of us, but he thinks him specifically to just to destroy him politically. I mean, it's really is like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And that's what we're, I mean, I mean, is, 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 are they more crazy now or are we just seeing it now because we have the internet and we have the ability to see, oh, f- 
shit, these people are nuts. Well, I think that it's, yes, it's that. And, you know, the internet also gives space for crazies to get a constituency that they would not otherwise be able to get. Mm. I mean, a total nut, you know, 25, 30 years ago, uh, you know, is not going to get space on uh, CB on the CBS Evening News. Um, and that's still true now. But you don't need the CBS Evening News anymore. Uh, you know, you don't need CNN. The Internet will get you direct access through Facebook ads and whatnot to the people that you're trying to reach. And the thing is what the big revolution in voting that Republicans are way ahead on uh, is they the, the Republicans are finding previous non-voters. That's what Donald, that's what one of Trump's revolutions has been. People who mm. sat on their ass and did not participate in politics because they hated both parties are now turning up at the polls and they're enthusiastically supporting the president and his and his acolytes. Let me ask you this too. This is a side issue. And I, I, I've We've not got to talk at, about Ohio too. We've got to talk about Ohio. Well, let's let's talk about Ohio. I, I'm here before, but I just want to do a sidebar and talk yeah. about uh polling. And do we trust it? Um, because who in the name of God answers their phone if a pollster calls? Right. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I used to always say that polls were, you know, you know, politicians would always say, well, you know, you can't trust polls. Well, in the 90s, that wasn't true. You could trust polls. I mean, polls were they're, they're very scientifically based, um, you know, the statistical sampling works. It, I mean, there's no question about it. The problem is now with people don't have land landlines, uh, they have cell phones. And uh, and so people it's hard for the polling agencies, A, to get your cell phone number and B, to get you to pick it up and C, to get you to answer the questions when you're sitting down at dinner. Because, you know, you're even less likely to be able to talk when you pick up your cell phone because you're out and about, you're driving, uh, whereas, you know, you might be interrupting someone's dinner back on a landline, but they might be more willing to talk to you. Um, I Also, young people really don't have landlines, so they're being under polled. Uh, of course, they don't they don't vote that much, but they do. Some do vote. And, uh, you know, and generally speaking, the shy Republican has become a major phenomenon in the age of uh, Trump, where, you know, people who support Trump know that they're going to be they're going to be uh, politically shamed for their choice. Um, and so they sort of like rather than get into it or feel like they're going to be shamed, they just rather not reveal it. They keep their you know, they cast their secret ballot. They and, and that's. That's why you're constantly seeing Republicans undercounted in these polls. Okay. So let's um, talk about Ohio, your home state. Yeah, where I was I was just there a few days ago. Um, two things are happening there that are kind of amazing. First of all, the gubernatorial race, which is not going to impact, obviously, the national scene, but uh, Ned Devine, who, you know, has been a uh, an okay governor, um, is just sailing to a, uh, he's a Republican, he's sailing to a easy re-election against a woman, uh, Nan Whaley, who I've personally met, she's the mayor of Dayton, um, who is really, by all accounts, should be mounting a strong challenge to him. I mean, she's an excellent candidate. Uh, she, she has, she has, I mean, she basically has everything you would want in an Ohio Democratic candidate. And yet she's losing 55 to 37 How in come? the latest signal tracking poll. Um, well, I don't know if it's just uh, 
Ohioans are in a, are in a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mood, or uh, if they're just trying to punish the Democrat, or it could be something as subtle as in Ohio, there's a, there's a division of power and there always has been the locus of power has always been in the Northern part of the state. Um, You know, the, the, the big, uh, like, Big senators like John Glenn and Howard Metzenbaum were from Cleveland, and uh, and then uh, sometimes you'd get some political, some believe it or not, some power coming out of Toledo. But uh, the southern part of the state was always sort of weak, and it might just simply be that you know if you're from Cincinnati or Dayton, you just can't really. It's harder to mount a strong campaign for um you know an outsider campaign but you know divine is he's from he's from central ohio uh from a little farm town um called cedarville beautiful little place um so it's not like he's from the north i think this must be a sexist thing really truly Mm. Uh, i mean she's i mean the only thing wrong with her is that she's a chick um then you've got um i mean it's kind of frankly it's disappointing it's kind of like when you look at the country you're like, really, we don't have a place for someone like Adlai Stevenson. You know what I mean? Like, no, why not? We don't. And, we uh, really don't. No, and we should. Um, but if we were France, we would. But we're not France. But but the Senate. But the big story here is the Senate. I mean, J.D. Vance is one of those uh, right. He's a right wing uh, former um, author who wrote Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, he's a carpetbagger, claimed Ohio roots, but sort of came back to Ohio really just to run for Senate. Um, and he quit his job as a columnist at the New York Times, which was in one of their, let's hire some right-wing conservatives in order to show that we're cool. Um, he moved back there. He is he has run kind of an abysmal campaign. He's an asshole. He, he doesn't present well, doesn't speak, he doesn't give a good stump speech. Um, and it's not going to matter. He's leading... Tim Ryan, who is by all accounts a strong, moderate, centrist Democrat, uh, 48 to 44, and all the polls have been like moving more and more in Vance's direction. He, it, the only reason he's going to get this thing is uh, because of Trump. And he's also a recipient of those Democratic dollars that we were talking about at the top of the, of the hour <laughs> here. I mean, he's, I don't, I mean, honestly, I got to say that, um, Democratic donors should sue the yeah. DNC. I was the, about to ask you that. It's fraud. I mean, you know, if you're if you fundraise from the American if if the if the American Cancer Society, you know, I send them a hundred bucks and they decide to for some weird reason give it to you know RJR Nabisco <laughs> or Philip Morris. <laughs> um, I mean. That seems to be like a major bait and switch, right? I mean, like the Democratic Party shifting Democratic Party funds to the GOP, to the right wing GOP, seems to me like, uh, you know, I don't care whatever the strategy was. It's fraud. They didn't tell their donors, hey, we, you know, give us some money. We'd like to do this. They just did it. Yeah, it's one of those seem like a good idea at the time moments, isn't it? I mean, it's just like, yeah. You know, I don't a, think it seemed like a good idea at the time. I don't. You and I agreed. I mean, we talked about it. And, so, and I especially was going, this is stupid politics. It, it rarely works out for you unless the guy or or, or, or gal is a just a truly 
something wrong, flawed candidate. And the thing is, the, uh, the definition of flawed candidate is very different now than it was 10 years, 15 years ago. So we're going to break off here. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about what we think the Republicans will do um, give, if they take the House and if they take the House in the yep. Senate. What's this if you're talking about? They're well, definitely uh, taking the House. Okay. No question about it. Okay. Let's talk about it when we come back. Okay. Well, that last segment got cut off because Scott was playing with the button. So I apologize for that. I always tell you not to play with your button. Uh, especially in front of Ted. Uh, <laughs> this is a DMZ America. Because we can see each other. I don't think people realize that. Like, No, no. We're actually recording this through Zoom and we can see each other. It just makes the conversation a little more like personal and, and unless I'm touching my buttons. <laughs> don't touch your buttons. Then it just gets awkward. I'm don't Scott Stantis, by the way, coming to you from the right. And by the way, I'm Ted Rall coming to you from the left. So I'm, we're going to kind of continue the theme, but let's presume for a moment, I think Ted and I are locked in that our prediction is the, the Republicans, barring anything, uh, we are 13 days out from the election, barring anything drastic, um, the Republicans are going to retake the House and the Senate still up in the air, although it looks like the polls are certainly moving in the Republicans' direction. So, Ted, I mean, simple First question. All, let's talk about by how much. I think it's going to be sizable. Democrats currently barely hold the House by what, six or eight seats or something like that? There was five, but okay. There may be, two, I think there are two independents, or is that the Senate? There was two independents that There's caucus independents. with the Democrats. So, yeah. wait, wait, who's the other one besides Bernie? We know. I knew you'd ask that. I'll have to look it up. That means okay. I'd have to Google it. And that makes for unscintillating podcasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the ghost of Joe Lieberman or some shit like that. Um, so, okay. So anyway, the, um, the yeah. So currently, I think it's, I do think it's the Democrats are up six. I think the, uh, when the, when the dust clears at this point, if election day is tomorrow, the Republicans are up 23 seats in the house. Holy shit. That's huge. That'd be huge. I mean, that that means you can do what you want. Um, it's not veto proof. Right? It's not veto proof, but it's pretty not close. Majority. Um, and then but it's definitely also a mandate, which is really important for them. It, it is a mandate. Um, and then what about this? Or at least it's arguably a mandate. I mean, Democrats get a mandate. They don't claim a mandate. Republicans don't get a mandate. They claim a mandate, you know, Um but what about let's talk about the Senate, uh, you know, where we are obviously at a 50 50 Senate right now, um, sort of ish, because that includes uh, two uh, you know, Democrats in name only uh, in the great states of Arizona and West Virginia. Um, but uh, and, you know, with Vice President casts the deciding vote, I don't see how the Democrats pick up seats or even keep it. As it is. Uh, here's the thing, Ted, this is, I mean, you and I talk about, you know, commenting on, on policy and so on, but I also love politics. And this is just, before we went on to record this today, you, you saw me throwing up my arms and, and hands and just getting, what the fuck? Really, Democrats? You can't win this. You have a party that endorsed lying about an election, actually lied about it so much that they wanted that they tried to stop the election and overturn a legitimate American election on January 6th. You have Roe v. Wade being struck down in many states, particularly down here in the South, that are outlying um, abortions. 
And uh, you have a Republican Party that is openly talking about banning birth control. You can't win this election? Really? Well, I mean... Ted, you, these are your people. What the fuck is wrong with them? Well, okay, so they do have some... Let's be serious here. I mean, we got to be fair. They do have headwinds, right? I mean, they're still do- dealing with the aftermath of, math of covid and mm-hmm. frankly, the aftermath of COVID seems to point to Republicans and conservatives having been right that the lockdown wasn't rec- wasn't necessary. And then Democrats are walking right into that narrative, um, you know, where like which is really feeding into people like Ron DeSantis, who didn't do as much of a lockdown in Florida um, by, you know, insisting that five year olds and, uh, are, you know, need to get the new vaccine, as the president urged just two days ago, um, right? In uh, I mean, I think obviously inflation is like the big story. The housing market is is running headlong into a wall. I mean, even if you're not planning to move or sell your house, you're displeased. Um, you know, if you are, uh, you know, if you see the, if you suspect that, you know, your biggest investment, your your home is is losing value. Um, gas prices are still sky high. Uh, you know, there's some there's some burbling yeah, okay. intent with the situation in Ukraine. You know, we were kind of promised uh, by, I think, imp- implicitly uh, six months ago, a quick Ukrainian victory. Uh, that's clearly we're not going to see that. Uh, certainly uh, no time before next year, because uh, now Ukraine's bogged down in mud and uh, there's not going to be any progress by either Russia or Ukraine, uh, really, from now until spring. So, you know, there's billions of dollars pouring into Ukraine. Uh, You know, I I just think, I mean, and the president, the head of the party is feeble. He's uh, undynamic. He doesn't seem able to uh, speak clearly or articulately. He doesn't convey a sense of strong leadership. Uh, The Democrats haven't managed to nationalize the, the, the campaign. And they don't have a credible solution to the biggest Thing they can beat up the Republicans with, which is abortion. I mean, what could, let's just say you vote Democratic and the, let's think, you know, things rock for the Democrats and, you know, they, they only lose a few seats and the Republicans are up by five and, and they are still a 50-50 Senate. So the Democrats turn out in droves, do everything that the DNC is asking them to do. What happens? Nothing, because they can't codify abortion rights without getting rid of the filibuster, which they're frankly not going to do and should not do from a from a from a political point of view, uh, because, you know, they need that minority. Right. Sure. So, So like, you know, I mean, they're not going to restore Roe v. Wade next year, no matter what. So it's like, well, what's their big promise? We're going to try to do something and we know we're going to fail at it. I mean, you know, they, they 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 have nothing they can do on gas prices. I mean, they could do something dramatic, like restore diplomatic relations with Iran, which is a major oil producing state. Um, that would be a, a real game changer in the energy market. Uh, but, you know, they're not going to do that. So I don't know. I, I, I do think it was inevitable that the Republicans were going to win. I just didn't think they had to win this big. Uh, and I, that's where I'm going to agree with you about these mistakes. I mean, like supporting these far right Republicans, yeah. uh, failing to nationalize the race and like failing to beat up the, uh, the the Republicans about hating women, you know. So let's um, real quick. And then we've got one more segment to go. But um, 
what will the Republicans do? I can tell you exactly what they're going to do, Ted. What's job one? Job one for Republicans, they're going to impeach Joe Biden. Agreed. Uh, on what grounds? I mean, it's a political process, not a legal. Yeah, because they want to. Because they, they want to. No, but I mean, you know, they could they could impeach him on the grounds that he's of, of mental incompetence. They could do that. I think that the um, and you and I, or how they much, can, how much they can shit have you? Hunter, they can go after the Hunter Biden. I was shit. about to mention Hunter Biden. How much shit have you and I taken from, especially our Democratic friends, for bringing up the Hunter Biden case, the Hunter Biden laptop? And I mean, from both sides, you and I actually draw for a counterpoint, and usually our compatriots will comment saying "good cartoon" or "bad cartoon." Or, they say something. There were crickets. Because both Ted and I drew about how the Hunter Biden laptop story is a huge story. And I think this really could bring this administration down. Even Legitimately. It's not like it's not like a fucking Benghazi, like sort of ginned up thing. It is. Yeah. It's not white water. It's not a little. This is not a little thing. This is this is mafia level stuff. Well, what's. Yeah. I mean, let's just the, the, the big banner headline is that there is evidence on the laptop that Joe and Hunter had a kickback scheme whereby uh, Hunter would trade on Joe's influence to get no-show jobs like at Burisma in Ukraine. Uh, And then he had to kick 50% of everything he earned back to his father, Joe Biden, you know, the president. Yeah. Um, Referred to as the big guy in the, in the texts and emails. Who was then vice president at the time that these materials were, um, you know, were, were recorded. I mean, uh, there's a lot of evidence that that Joe did some dirty things in Ukraine and in other developing countries. Um, it's bad. I mean, it, let me put it this way. It's not proof because anyone can say anything, but it's evidence and it's pretty strong evidence. And like right. once you start digging, you you will find the proof. And that's where the Republicans, they're going to they're going to shut down the January 6th commission. They're going to start up the Hunter Biden uh, committee to investigate that. Yep. And frankly, they may find uh, some stuff. I think they will. And I, and I agree with you. I think they will find some things and that's what they're impeaching on. Uh, but yeah. And that was what I, I said when they picked in the Senate, of course, it'll just be no. bad again because nobody has right. a, the enough votes to convict in the Senate. And that's what's going to happen every time the house is a different party than the president, they're going to impeach. And that was my, and I mentioned this and talked about it, drew about it vociferously for the first impeachment of Donald Trump, which was, you know, absurd. And now the, thing was, is they, the House cannot really pass. They're not going to be able to pass any legislation, really, right? I mean, because they're not because Biden will veto anything that they pass. They're going to, yeah. Well, and the Senate will won't pass it. So if it, True. um, so it gets up there, and it's going to be like I mentioned earlier. Let's say a ban on uh, birth control. Um, or well, the Senate, know, let's say say it's a it, like the GOP has is has the Senate by three. By, is up by three. Right, votes. that may or may not pass. It probably won't because probably it's won't because of the filibuster. And also, it's stupid. But uh, let's propose it's the filibuster too. So and yeah, and so the Senate's going to have a hard time getting through the Senate, and now all of a sudden it goes up to the president, the President Biden, and someone will you know lift his bony hand as it holds the <laughs> stamp and put it on the um, uh, and veto the bill. Now, um, as you mentioned, none of this is none of this is veto proof. So and so it's going to be what you're going to see is kabuki. You're going to see the truly nuttier side of um, the Republican Party in the House really passing truly insane stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and just to try to placate its, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's going to say you can't teach um, we're gonna race get, theory. You're what about have... shit like, oh, my God, what about budget crises? I mean, are we going to be able to pass a federal budget? You're going to have to, but it's going to be a lot more, you know, how we whine about the continuing uh, resolutions. We're going to have a fuck ton of those. Um, it's going to be, it's just going to be a mess. So here's the thing, Ted, here's what I'm proposing for this podcast. Why don't you and I stave off any kind of like final predictions until the podcast before the election, the midterms, which are in 13 days. And then so we that's will, next week's podcast. Yeah. So we will then, and we'll nail it, nail it down. Cause who knows what's going to happen in the next, you know, next week. But um, although the thing is, I, I want to point out that I think there's less room for things to really change than there used to be uh, in these days of early voting and, yeah. uh, and, and apps and, and voting by mail. There's already a lot of votes being that are votes are, are right. cast are being cast like what two weeks out like yeah, so they're starting now so uh, you know so if something let's just say you have a late october early november surprise it doesn't have a chance to impact nearly as many votes as it would have on a traditional all the votes are cast in the first tuesday of november and there's a lot of moving parts as there are in most elections but this one in particular that kind of throw you for a loop for it you know ted and i talked re- uh, earlier about polling and is, is it suspect it's going to be fascinating to see how accurate or inaccurate they were uh this election cycle number two is uh, i mean we talked about this before we started recording uh more women have uh asked for absentee ballots than men this time i have by a lot or- it's uh, not a whole lot but by a lot but by enough that's noticeable, which tells me that maybe just maybe the Democrats have energized women voters, particularly in the suburbs, are going to be key. They're the, some of the few independent, truly independent voters that can go either Democrat or Republican. So you're going to see that. Um, and well, those are go- you've got to say you've got to say that that's advantage. You know, that's going to mitigate uh, the the red wave. You know, I mean, I don't know, though. I think the red wave, they're energized and they're going to get they get they have their number. And they're going to get that number out. That's how this works. Uh, and it has for the last, you know, 10 years. It's a generational thing. Old, Most of them are old and the old people vote because what else have they got? <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, well, no, old people always do vote. And yeah, uh, in yeah. large and very large numbers And MAGA. I mean, I, you know, you and I drive around this country and we've seen outside of urban areas, the, the support for MAGA and MAGA candidates. It is, it is very deep. Very strong, ongoing, uh, very passionate. It's not going away anytime soon. Uh, you know, I, speaking of like democratic screw ups, I would say uh, one of the big things Democrats have been uh, doing to fuck things up, and I, I think uh, I would encounter many many pundits in this category too, is so being so obsessively running against Trump while Joe Biden is president, uh, because what that's doing is it's feeding into the narrative that you know, that he owns the libs, that Trump drives the libs crazy. And that's why they're voting for, that's why they like Trump. You know, it's like if they thought that, you know, Democrats and liberals didn't care about Trump, Trump wouldn't be as popular. I don't know if you do this. Uh, I said we'd cut it, but I do want to talk about this because it's one of those weird insights into how I think and how I think a lot of cartoonists think. But watching that debate, Last night, the Pennsylvania senatorial debate, but in watching uh, excerpts of other debates across the country, I always tend to inject myself and how I would have responded and performed in that debate. Mm. I w- I'm unelectable. 
I just decided, I realized this morning as I'm running through what I would say in those debates, I, there's no place for me in either party, frankly. Because? Uh, uh, I, I tend to moderate. I tend to be moderate. I tend to be thoughtful and just say, okay, let's look at this. And yes, the, the other side has a valid point. Nobody in any of these debates has said that ever. In this election cycle, you, I don't think you can. It's I don't think in a debate you can do that. I, I think you know because then it's like in a debate you're essentially just agreeing with them, even if you privately. No, oh, they have no, a no. What you can say is I I understand how you know I understand how Councilman Rawl came to this conclusion. However, and then you say why it's wrong, and you walk them through. It's almost like how Abraham Lincoln spoke, and I, I that's I'm not Abraham Lincoln. Believe me when I say that, <laughs> but, 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 much better but when he debated, yeah, I don't, yeah, no kidding. I don't have that. And you don't have the time to debate and build. Like I just finished reading a book on the Cooper, uh, Cooper union speech that Lincoln gave prior to the 1860 election. And it's long, but it's very reasoned. He takes your hand and he walks you through the issue and takes you to where he wants you to go. That's kind of how I've always discussed and debated things. Um, and that's why I think I don't come off as you know a flame, quite the flaming asshole I actually am, <laughs> is that I will tell people, okay, I see where you're coming from, but that's not conceding that their point is is right. I'm saying that I understand how you could have made that conclusion. Um, sure. But I'm just thinking, Ted, this, I, I would never have I, – I was approached to run for office here in Alabama many years ago, and I, I chose not to. When I moved back a few years back, I, I revisited that and had, had lunches with some – pretty important money people and Republican operatives. And they said, can you out Trump the opposition? I go, I could not. No, I cannot Trump my cat if I, or Ted's cat. I can't. Um, and I won't. I mean, I, and they said, well, then you have no place. You will never win the Republican uh, primary. And so I thought, oh, well, that, that sucks. Cause I've always wanted to run. I think it would be fun. Um, yeah. But well, anyway, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, well, maybe you know you 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 if if thoughtfulness is uh, is is really like uh, the enemy in politics, maybe I do have a chance. Um. <laughs> no, you you think very deeply about this stuff, but you you also have you're you're better at distilling your ideas down to a single kernel and 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 sticking to that. I think you'd be a much stronger candidate than I could ever be. Um, that's yeah, why we're saying politics would get in the way, though. You'd have to announce Ted Rawl. For a president, I think he should go to New Hampshire and run. Is what I think. Because anyone, it's like seventy-five bucks to get on the ballot, or seven hundred fifty bucks, or something. We should have a fundraiser. And it's cold. I you like, like the, the you like the cold. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Okay. Well, away the, I mean, seventy degrees in Manhattan today. Like, what the fuck? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that it's, blows. I know it's always like that down here. We have three days. We have three days of winter down here, so that's yeah. one of the. Anyway, Enjoy so okay, them. we're gonna we'll be back and uh after this short break, and we're gonna answer the question: What the hell does Haiti have to do with Ukraine? Really? That's 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 a thing. This is the DMZ America podcast, back for its third and final segment. I'm Scott Stantis, coming to you from the right. And coming to you from the left, I am Ted Rawl. Rawl, for president, now <laughs> more than before. 
<laughs> much more than before, which was not at all. <laughs> okay, so we've been teasing this. Uh, Ted, you got to answer the question because you brought it up before we went on to record this thing, before we started recording this thing. Haiti, what the hell does that have to do with Ukraine? Well, this morning I woke up to uh, listen to NPR and I, I, had, I have to admit that heretofore I'd been not following this story as closely as I should have, but I had been following it. And um, the, the political and uh, security situation in, uh, in, in Haiti has completely disintegrated to the point where it would be fair to say that Haiti is a, is a failed state. Um, the, there, the government has no military or police control whatsoever in cities like Port-au-Prince, the capital, or anywhere else in the countryside. Uh, the uh, there's massive starvation and famine going on. Uh, the NPR told the account, related accounts of how many uh, people have been reduced. Their dinner is literally uh, hot water with some a sprinkle of salt in it. Um, so they're really on the way out uh, yeah. in Haiti. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the city, uh, Port-au-Prince, is, is run completely by gangs. So uh, non-governmental organizations and aid organizations have not been able to get a food or medical aid into the country really effectively because uh, their people have been uh, murdered, uh, threatened, beaten up. Uh, the aid workers are being robbed. Um, so they're not able to set up distribution centers because there's no law and order in Haiti. And, um, you know, so... I keep, you know, my, my, my mind immediately went to the fact that uh, the United States is sending tens of billions of dollars of military and other mostly military aid to Ukraine, which is not, I will remind everyone, a U.S. ally and is not in America's sphere of influence and is in Russia's sphere of influence and is therefore not our business. Um, and it's certainly, if you think it's our business, you still can't think it's more our business than Haiti. I mean, Haiti is right in our, it's in the Caribbean. It's in our hemisphere. The United States has looted and raped and occupied Haiti. Many, many years, we, 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 we coddled and installed two brutal dictators there, Papa Doc and Baby Doc Duvalier, for years and years and years. And we just turned the other side. And President Clinton overthrew the democratically elected, relatively non-corrupt governor, uh, president of Haiti, Aristide, bundled him up on a CIA plane and hijacked him <laughs> and, and kidnapped him to the Central African Republic in one of the weirdest episodes uh, in our history. Um, you know, I mean, so the point is the U.S., has given it to Haiti good and good and hard without lube for a long time. <laughs> and, uh, and we owe them, we got to do something. Um, and, you know, but of course, obviously I'm a non-military interventionist. I'm anti-interventionist. I also look at the history of U S military intervention in Haiti, including after the earthquake, when uh, the Clinton foundation was basically using that as an opportunity to further loot the country. Um, so wait, know, wait, you explain that quickly. Well, basically, the Clinton Foundation is not only a money laundering operation, uh, but it's also uh, an investment firm, basically. And um, the, the Clintons used that uh, that relief effort to secure mono monopoly control over the port and to try to basically turn it into a profit center for them personally. Um, it's a if you just sort of Google 
Haiti, Clinton's port, uh, you will find the whole sordid story. And it's it's wacky and crazy. And it's the epitome of gross corruption and neocolonialism. But the point is, we need they need mili- they need a military force there because you're not going to be able to provide any kind of, of uh, you know, food assistance or law and order as long as the gangs are there. You need people with more guns and better training who are going to go in there and say, guys, you need to go home or we're going to shoot you. Um, but that can't be the U.S. military because we will make a hash of things and make a terrible situation even worse. Scott, I think you ask. Go ahead. I, I think this calls for uh, an international <laughs> relief force like Blue Helmets. Uh, I would say. Uh, it's got to be a UN-led or uh, you know OAS kind of. But thing. Ted, like, where the fuck is the Cuba, UN been? The, the with UN the has... US and Canada and Brazil and Venezuela and all the major powers in the Western Hemisphere have to go in together and with like overwhelming force that nobody's going to like fight. You know. Right, I agree. But where the fuck is the UN in any of this? I mean. You know, well, they're tisk, tisk, tisking, and the same thing they did for Ukraine. They tisk, 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 invasion of a sovereign nation by, you know, and, and they're, they've done nothing in Ukraine. They've, they're not going to do anything here. I mean, yeah, the organization of American states should actually get together, combine their forces, go in. Yeah, you're right. Blue helmet. Uh, but badass in Cuba needs to be part of this so that we can see it's not just the, the you know, the old it's got to be like the former non-aligned states with the aligned states. Like it's got to be an alliance between the U.S. Mm. block and the leftist block, like, uh, you know, like Brazil and uh, Bolivia, Nicaragua, and, El Salvador. Yeah, right. It's, right. And and Cuba, uh, not to mention Cuba has, um, you know, really excellent. Uh, doctors and uh, so you know they're they're really good at this kind of thing, and then we got to stand up a provisional government, and then we've got to like you know at some point they've got to hold elections, and then we withdraw. But the thing is, there's got to be inter- international assistance because this situation's not going to get better by itself, and no, it's and, it's our, and we do have a responsibility. We I I, I agree. So let's um. And you and I have agreed on Ukraine to a uh, to a lesser degree, and this is the this is where my wussiness comes out. <laughs> I'm saying, yeah, yeah, we have yeah. come, no, but I I'm I'm against military action mostly because you know I have kids. Uh, Great just, thing. That's what it is. And they have gotten past the uh, uh, drafting age, but still, would I? The question for me for military intervention is: Would I sacrifice my child for this cause? I would not sacrifice my kid for Ukraine um, or Crimea. Only however, however, I believe that it is a criminal act and needs to be fought. This is where you and I disagree on some stuff. Anyway, anyway. Well, well, even if you feel that way, it's just like the question is, you know, does the United States need to involve itself with every criminal act? I mean, look, the thing is, there's no question that the U.S. and, and its Ukrainian proxies um, you know, have definitely provoked this war. It uh, doesn't necessarily justify the invasion, but it's also, I think, an important detail that I, I was meaning to bring up. I'm glad you brought this up. Is you know, I mean, those borders are not really. They're kind of like so. The 15 Soviet republics broke apart along the borders that were dri- that were drawn up under Stalin mainly um, for the 15 you know sort of ethnic homelands. Um, and you know the the borders that make sense for a state within a country are not the same thing that like are not the borders that necessarily make sense 
if that country breaks apart into in those states all become sovereign. Um, you know, I mean, you know, France and Germany have some like inherent boundaries, like the, you know, like the, like the, like the Swiss Alps, like the French and Swiss Alps separate those two countries. That makes sense. The Rhine, right. is like a big geographic border. Um, but like, uh, you know, imagine if the U S broke into 50 different countries. I mean, you know, some of these would make sense more than others. Uh, you know, I mean, does, does it really make sense that, for example, the citizens of Newark, New, New Jersey, who are basically just, you know, kind of like living in the extended urban New York City metropolitan area, they're in a different state than New York? Like, probably not. They should probably be folded into New York. Um, you know, I mean, pe- people in South Jersey probably should be folded into, you know, the Philadelphia metro area and then become parts of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, like Ohio and Kentucky, that's a natural border, you know, but Michigan, upper peninsula and lower peninsula, that's maybe two states, right? I mean, so I'm just saying that like the state, like really the Russian ethnic Russians who lived in Crimea and the Donbass really should never have been in Ukraine, um, you know, when the border was drawn originally. And when, and so what we're seeing is in large part, just a consequence of shitty cartography, I think. <laughs> well, I think that's part of it. But the other part too is, I mean, you know, look at um, Iraq as a great example. That's three different countries. I mean, right. But, or arguably but, part of one big Ottoman empire, right? Well, okay. Let's, uh, let's, let's, well, that's what it was. <laughs> I understand. But this is, but, but you have the, um, you have the Sunnis uh, in the in what in the central part. You have the Shia in the south, and you have the Kurds in the north. Especially right. the Kurd, Kurds are a distinct entity in and of themselves. So that was imperialists, just something like that was Winston Churchill. Before I let you go, mm-hmm. I haven't seen this yet, but I want to make fun of our 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 cohort our cohorts, our fellow cartoonists who are going to do this. Um, the United Kingdom has appointed as a new prime minister. He is a person of color for the first time in the history of that country. He's also one of the richest men in the country. Um, how many cartoonists? Maybe he, can, are, maybe he can personally run the economy. He can finance. Perhaps he could actually hold up. Uh, yeah, kind of <laughs> hold up the, the the pound, which is plummeting. Um, but how many cartoonists are going to have Winston Churchill giving him the thumbs up? Oh, God, I hate you sometimes when you come up with these things, because my brain was so uncluttered by schmutz until you said that. <laughs> and oh. which is if you know, do yourself a favor, I'm going to leave it at this and we're going to stop. Look up Winston Churchill's views of race. Oh, <laughs> I'm well aware. <laughs> and just just not see. to mention specifically people of South Asian extraction. Yes. Right. And like That's a exactly. brown. Friend to Indian, the Indian independence movement. A brown man running his country probably would not get a thumbs up from old Winston. But I'm just saying, we will talk next week and see how many cartoonists drew that cartoon. I suspect it will be many. Yeah, <laughs> and, and those or, of us or, who actually or will it be book. like the V for Victory thing, or yes, it'll be that. Yes, it'll be one of those things that will make no historic sense at all. Or do you think it'll be Queen Elizabeth, like in in heaven, looking down from her cloud? Oh God! And then she'll be saying like, like, oh, Good show truly. <laughs> He's I'll let him walk my corgis. 
<laughs> well, I have to admit one of the funniest, I'm going to butcher it, but one of the funniest memes for trust, you know, how they were comparing her to a head of lettuce and she yes. didn't outlast a lot of lettuce. But I just love, hey, wait a minute. She lasted through two monarchs. <laughs> how, how many prime ministers can say that? <laughs> so true. So true. You know, that's right. so humiliating that she doesn't get to slink off. Like, you know, like, like, like Trump slunk off after he lost, you know, like, bye, fuck you. Didn't attend, like, didn't attend yeah. Biden's inauguration. But like, Liz Truss had to go and give a speech in front of 10 Downing and say, it was a great honor to serve brief, albeit briefly, a, a very short honor. It's like, it, it's so weird that she doesn't just get to like vanish like a, like well, a talk radio host. You know, does she, one day you're yeah. on the, one day you're not. Does she get a portrait? I mean, I, I don't know if they do the portrait thing of the prime ministers. I suspect. I don't know where the fuck would they put them. I mean, I don't know. Downing Street just like a, a like a like a slumpy little. <laughs> I mean, I did you know? Did you I know this? That's very nice either. It's okay. I've seen inside. I mean, I've never been in it, but I've seen pictures and videos. Yeah, it looks it seems at, right. It's did, you, did you know that the uh, exchequer uh, has a residence at eleven Downing Street? No, I did not. Le I learned that this week. I, so it's so not like in Tom and Jerry where it's like 10 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It is apparently the uh, oh, what is it? The um, what is the something of the exchequer, something British chancellor of the chancellor Exeter. of the exchequer is uh, has his own residence or her own residence. Um, hmm. So on that note, talking about residence and stuff, Ted, where can we where what residence does your work take up? My work resides at raw.com, <laughs> R-A-L-L.com, also at whowhatwhy.org uh, on Saturdays, uh, also at sputniknews.com on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And how about you, Scott? You can go to gocomics.com slash Scott Stantis, one word, or go to gocomics.com slash Prickly City to see my comic strip. You can go to chicagotribune.com slash opinion and see a gallery of the work I draw for them. You can go to Dallas Morning News and go to opinion and see the cartoons I draw for them. You can go to 1819 News, which I'm just now starting to draw for. Um, and uh, yeah, that covers that. We do a lot of stuff. And we didn't once bring up Flamethrower drones. Oh, well, I yeah, that's that's true. I mean, you know, I, I am thinking of getting a job at the flamethrower drone factory and I can do that Johnny Cash thing like one piece at a time. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do, let me know and let me know if you get a discount because I'll definitely have to get oh, one. one. Are you kidding? You got it, It's a bargain at twice the price. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, ladies and gentlemen, please remember to go and vote. Um and I guess that's all I gotta say. Anything you want to add? Yes, in our in our awesome democracy. Because remember, you have the vibrant choice between two virtually identical political parties. So God enjoy God. it. God bless America. <laughs> uh <laughs>